HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit Firesider.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You, of course, are listening to The Farm Report. I am your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in a Bushwick, Brooklyn. It's a little bit of a rainy day, a little bit of a, a sad, dark day in the studio but our uh you know stomachs are full our eyes are bright um last show of the season i can hardly believe that 2015 is coming to a close uh this year went fast uh fast for me i don't know how it went for you guys um but i feel like i almost have to like take a minute to like write down all the things that happened because it was just such a whirlwind um and we have some really big news on the farm report um I am taking uh, a little bit of a sabbatical, but don't worry. We will still bring you the farm report on a weekly basis. We have a guest host who's going to be taking over for me, kind of manning the ship for the 2016 winter season, and she is here joining us in studio. Holly Cedarholm, welcome to, welcome to the farm report. Hi, Erin. <laughs> oh, thank you, Liz. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting that round of applause. I know, so. right? <laughs> We're off with a bang. We're off with a bang. So um, I thought it might make sense to kind of get you guys a little acquainted with Holly, um, some of her background, and then get a little sneak peek of what she has in store for us in the new year. Um, Holly, you have quite an extensive background in agriculture, um, both from a farming um, and an organizational management standpoint. Um, you, you've done a lot of different things. We're going to get to all of those kind of over the course of the next half hour. But before we tuck in, I w- I'm wondering if you can tell us like what sparked your interest in ag. Um, So I went to an environmental school. I grew up in Connecticut, and I didn't really have an interest in farming. I was interested in food. Um, I became a vegetarian at a very young age, and I think that was kind of always in the back of my head. 
Um, but I studied environmental writing at Unity College in Unity, Maine, which is also where the oldest organic organization in the country is headquartered, MOFCA, the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. So while I was studying, I quickly became immersed in sort of rural tradition and decided that I wanted to approach an apprenticeship. Um, so in 2005, I went to work on a small farm with a family, um, just a family of four. The mom ran the farm. The husband worked off farm doing logging. The kids were in college. And I really fell in love with being able to work outside, do stuff with my hands, see things come to fruition under my own efforts um, and kind of pursue different opportunities from there. So when you were a little kid and thinking about, you know, growing up Holly in her like, uh, you know, mid to late 20s, what did you think you were going to be doing? Well, I actually thought back about this two years ago and I kind of hit the mark. I wanted to be an animal conservationist. So I thought that I was going to be working, saving exotic animal species or what we look at as exotic. Um, and now I've sort of shifted that eye towards plants and looking at um, heirloom plant varieties and heritage breeds. So I think despite not really knowing what I wanted to do, I kind of knew my innate interests at a younger age. So you graduate from college, you do your first apprenticeship, which lasts how long? Um, so I did just a summer long apprenticeship because I was, I, well, I did it while I was in college. Still. While you were so, in college. Okay. Um, so I did it just from... I don't know when the semester ends, June. Yeah, to, just like through a college summer. Yeah. And then um, the following summer, I went um, and wanted to do some traveling. So I looked into the Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms program, which some people know as Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And that's just, um, it's a worldwide network. Different countries have their own associations and others kind of um, glommed together as an independent association. And I went to Scotland and through this kind of volunteer matchmaking service, kind of hopped around on different farms. So I looked at different market models. Um, I spent three weeks at four different, each at four different farms. And I looked at um, sort of a prescription vegetable box system, um, farmer's market, uh, a wholesale directly to restaurants, um, and sort of a homestead collective kind of approach. And then from, so that was another, just a summer in college. And then I sort of realized I could be getting paid to do that work when I returned <laughs> to college. Wait a minute. <laughs> Being in an ag space um, in rural Maine, where a lot, there is a lot of agriculture. I realized that with a little bit of experience under my belt, I could go and work on farms and continue getting education that I would otherwise have to pay for. Um, there are a lot of ag programs which are great, but I decided I'd rather get hands-on experience and make a buck while doing it. Um, so then I did that for a few years, which took me through graduating college. Um, and at that point, um, another program of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association kind of steered me to starting my own farm. They have a really special program. They have a journey person program, which is like next level from the apprenticeship. It's mm -hmm. like people who have um, maybe a season or two and are looking to start their own farm and need a little bit of support um, can be a journey person. And then they have a really special opportunity called the Farmers in Residence, where on their land base, which is over 200 acres um, in Unity, um, where they hold the Common Ground Fair, if anyone's ever heard of that, every September 
they have an incubator farm. Um, okay. And every two years, they let people apply for that. So I basically got to start my farm with very low risk. Um, wow. Yeah. That's exciting. And, and like, but ultimately, like, I think deciding to pursue a career in agriculture is, uh, I don't know, it feels like it's so intimidating. Like, there's so much to know. And, like, you're so, like, a, like a little person at the, like, base of this, like, giant hill of kind of, like, knowledge and experience. And um, so when you were thinking about, you know, laying down the bones of, like, your first operation, what were some of the things that, like, you considered and maybe moved forward on and also maybe decided were actually not going to be a fit for you? So I did a lot of experimenting. Um, vegetables were always at the core. Um, I really like interacting with plants, um, and I also really love seeds. Um, so I think that, and I also had all of this experience with vegetables, so it made sense to kind of be like, this is something I can do with low, inf- little, less infrastructure, um, and it's annual. So right. I can just start, and if it doesn't work, I can switch to something else. Whereas if you're investing in like dairy or something like that, you have to build up equipment, and it's a perennial sort of agriculture. So um, I really focused on doing, and plus the incubator farm, when I applied, I applied with a business plan in place. So um, that it was already kind of tailored to that. There was two acres um, set up um, for organic production of crops, so it made sense for me to go into to vegetables. So from there, I also, well, I kind of, um, I trialed a lot of different varieties. I was very interested in seed production and, and seed production is not, um, it's getting bigger in the Northeast, but when we think of seed production, that's not the first region in the country we jump to. Um, just cause we have like a shorter growing season here or we have a shorter growing season. It's wetter, um, during key parts of the season when certain crops might be needing to dry down. So there's higher disease, um, issues that can be presented, but in reality, it's a really great region to grow a lot of crops. And I think, um, it sh- we should be growing side note we should be growing seed for the crops that we're producing because they'll be more acclimated to our growing region, our growing region. And, and our style but can uh, i just i, so yeah. I want to just ask like um can we what's a good example crop for us to talk through a little bit um tomatoes might be a good okay one. so if uh, I'm growing tomatoes to fill like orders in the CSA or bring to market, how is like that kind of process or variety or harvesting different if what I'm doing is growing tomatoes to uh, uh, essentially what like smash them up and pull the seeds out? With tomatoes, that's pretty much what you're doing. Um, they're tomatoes are so there's a little bit of biology that's involved, but tomatoes are an easy one because they're. Um, they're not cross-pollinating. By and large, they're self-pollinating, so you don't have to worry about isolation issues as you do with some other crops. Um, And the other key thing with that is the seed is mature in tomatoes when the fruit is mature, whereas, um, for instance, uh, if you think of summer squash and winter squash, Mm -hmm. summer squash, the, like, it would have, you'd have to let it go to the length of, like, a winter squash to get, like, hard for their seeds to be mature. So tomatoes are Really, I mean, you're doing very the same things you're doing as a market grower bringing tomatoes to market, um, and you just smash them up, you let them ferment a little bit, um, you decant the the water and the bad seed. Well, you mix them with water and you decant the water and the bad seeds off, and then you've got seeds that you can dry down and replant. Um, it's a little more complicated again, based on like biology and some other things, but it's um, tomatoes are one that the Northeast could really we could we could all be growing our tomato seeds. 
Well, it seems like a lot more work than opening my seed catalog and getting a package of seeds in the mail. So why, why kind of go through that trouble? Well, it's um, if you save your own tomato seeds, you're going to get way more than a packet of seed. Um, so okay. it could be cost effective in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and the um, and seeds do there's different viability levels on seeds and in, in terms of them germinating repeatedly as time goes on. Um, but most part, it's you know it's those they'll remain good for several years if kept well. Um, but one of the biggest benefits. Um, is that you can start to kind of adapt the seed or work in this adaptive relationship with the seed to make it better suited for your region. Okay. So, um, uh, if you're saved, like, so even say you had a tomato variety that you had gotten somewhere, um, the Pacific Northwest, well, that's not, they have a shorter growing season in some ways too, but somewhere that doesn't have maybe the Southeast where it has a little bit, it's used to growing a little bit longer, but you want it to be an earlier season. I mean, you just can start to select for things that make sense specifically on your farm. So, so that would be like, I have my, you know, little area of tomato plants and I'd be like, Ooh, this plant's doing really well and bearing a lot of fruit and they're ripening nicely and the structure looks good. And I would be like, okay, so I'm going to save from this batch versus like maybe a plant in the same vicinity that just like wasn't doing so great. I'm like, cool. I'm, I'm not going to save from those. Exactly. Okay. And then like just over a year, season to season to season, you're constantly picking like the cream of the crop. So essentially you're doing your own kind of like Darwin Exactly. Situation. Yeah, you're talking about Darwin situation. situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, I mean, I also like the um, the stories that come with the seeds. So I think that's really, it's just, you know, participating in this agrarian tradition um, and taking it with you. I mean, seed companies are great. I love seed companies. I've worked for different seed companies. I think um, they'll always continue to fill a need. But a lot of the seed companies that I love and I love to support are ones that are essentially doing that selection on a large scale. They're doing, you know, they have farms um, and cooperate with other farmers to do this kind of seed work instead of... um, buying like large lots of seed from overseas which there's nothing wrong with but it's just exciting um to see us have more control and a bigger role in our seed history so when people talk about kind of um, building more biodiversity into the food supply obviously you know seeds are in essence like genetic material so the more kind of diverse genetic material that you have out there growing i think gives us a certain amount of like robustness Mm -hmm. from like space to space but how is it different like if i'm you know starting with let's say the packet of seeds i get from like one of my favorite seed supply companies and and you're growing it out on your farm and you're selecting over time and i'm growing out on my farm and i'm selecting it out over time the like basic genetic material isn't really changing or I, so i i will say with a caveat i am not a geneticist or a plant breeder yes but, yes <laughs> but, um there are so one thing that i um have done for a while is um bring my crops to the exhibition hall at the common ground country fair where everyone showcases you know the best cream of the crop i particularly like to bring winter squash um 
That's one of my favorites. Um, (laughs) um, There you kind of, they judge against the standard of the vegetable. But what's also really interesting to see is that my winter luxury pie pumpkin might not look like somebody else's winter luxury pie pumpkin. And it's not because we've um, necessarily grown um, grown it differently, it's because we might have started with different seed lots. So even though those genetics are the same, um, there's variance within that gene pool. So I um, had a winter... Just like people, I guess. Yeah. We don't all look the same. Exactly. Yeah. So I had a winter luxury pumpkin that was doing some crazy like striation stuff, which I thought was really cool, and the judges gave me some bad marks on. <laughs> judges. Come on. Difference is good. Diversity. Well. <laughs> Not what they were looking for. Well, okay. So you're getting your farm going, but then also, you, you know, you have kind of... Uh, you're in Maine, so obviously it's like, you know, spring, summer, early fall. And then in the winter, how are you filling your time? Yep. Um, so in the winter, I'm doing um, some of the other farm enterprise stuff that um, I was experimenting with. I uh, tried a value-added business where I fermented um, soybeans into tempeh. Um, so I was doing a little bit of that. I was also working at um, seed companies, one of them. Um, I worked out for a number of years called Fedco um, in their trees division where I would essentially um, keep me and, and the rest of the tree team. We would keep all of the the trees that would be sold in the spring for planting happy during the winter time. So planting happy. Yeah. So they will tell they, me more. Um, so the trees would we would buy them in from local growers in the fall and then um, larger distributors would ship them in through the winter. But they're supposed to be dormant, um, so we would keep them in like a forty-degree um, warehouse and water them and plant them in sawdust, and then we had to ship them. So we we're putting trees in boxes and shipping them around the country. Wow! So that was um, it was interesting. It was a great connection um, to have because most of the people were off-season farmers um, working there as well, and um, and then that work eventually shifted into the current role that I have, which is managing the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association, which is a national um, farmer supported. Well, all of our members, we're a member, a national member organization. We're a nonprofit and all of our members are farmers and seed companies um, and affiliates who kind of support organic seeds. So shifted into doing some more organizing and advocacy work through that. So you're not currently on the farm. What happened? Um, so I moved my farm from the incubator to a leased land um, situation for a number of years. And then um, I decided I wanted to dial back and be closer to family while I um, put things together to buy a farm. So while leasing is a very viable option for young and beginning farmers, I felt like the current situation that I had um, wasn't fitting my needs and I wanted um, to really reassess. Um, yeah, so you're kind of like back in Connecticut now. Do you miss Maine? You were there for so long. I love Maine. Yeah. And I, I, Maine hasn't seen the last of me. Hawking <laughs> <laughs> Maine. Hawking Mainers. Well, I am so excited for you guys uh, getting to hang with Holly uh, over the course of 12 episodes in the winter season. I think you can tell just from hearing her from her a little bit already. Girl knows her stuff. Um, we're going to take just a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what you can look forward to. So hang tight. We'll be right back.
Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Fire Cider added whole, raw, certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. Hey, I'm Carrie Diamond. And I'm Claudia Wu. And we're the founders of Radio Cherry Bomb, which airs every Thursday at 1 o'clock on the Heritage Radio Network. We're nothing without our listeners, literally. Heritage Radio Network is a not-for-profit organization, and we rely on listener support. So, when you have a minute, go check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on Beating Heart. It's literally a beating heart. Give what you can. We appreciate every dime. We love bringing you conversations with coolest women in food. So, help us continue to do that. Thank you for listening, and thank you for donating. You're You're the the bomb. bomb. Um, Holly, you're the bomb. Thank you, Erin. Thanks to thanks to Carrie and Claudia for such a lovely drop. We are, folks. Um, last time you're going to get to hear me say it in 2015, in the midst of our annual 100% necessary end of year funding drive. So if you have not taken the time to pull out your wallet, get out your phone, get out your computer, and make your way to the Heritage Radio Network dot org website click on that bleeding heart i always say bleeding heart (laughs) beating heart it's bleeding my heart is bleeding until you donate come say hello uh let them know that the farm report sent you and really any amount um five bucks ten bucks uh at a you know sixty dollar membership we're doing this really fun um cookbook that we'll send out this year a little kind of party in a pdf we've got t-shirts we've got um, amazing uh slate cheese boards i mean fun stuff but mostly um it it's uh what makes our work possible it lets us bring you kind of radio programming week after week so definitely um would love to see you on the donor rolls holly one of the other things you know you're such a journey woman in this kind of like agriculture landscape and uh, i know that you have also spent some you spent some time abroad early in your agriculture experience doing um some farming, but you've also been a Terra Madre delegate. You've, you've attended conferences outside the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how your travels um, and getting to be around other kind of egg thinkers from around the world have influenced your perspective a little bit? Yep. Um, so I was fortunate enough to go to Terra Madre um, as a U.S. delegate, both in 2012 and again in 2014. And then in 2014, I kind of piggybacked that trip um, 
into well i started out um into going going to istanbul turkey um for the international federation of organic agriculture movements <sighs> yeah i was i had to count i had to count those letters out when I said that. um also known as iphone organics which is kind of the organic body um in the world like uh there are different coalitions broken up um, by country and by region, but um, they host every three years, they host this really big um, conference and then also a policy meeting amongst iPhone members um, to bring, like you said, world agriculture thinkers together. And, and by participating, should I, should I explain Terra Madre for people just briefly? Do you think? Yeah, people, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like we've talked about it a little bit, but I've actually never been, so. Okay, so it's... Um, a meeting of Slow Food International that happens every two years in Turin, Italy, and they bring together delegates from all around the world. And the first year that I went, 2012, they also opened it up to the public. So there's two parts. There's Terra Madre, which is um, this sort of conference um, slash bazaar where everyone from um, all of their delegates are allowed to bring products. So it's like a massive indoor farmer's market. Um, and then they have Salone del Gusto, which is just like broken up by all the regions of Italy and that's um it's just all the regions of Italy in one fiat factory and it's kind of amazing um, <laughs> all but, of Italy compressed yeah. so I feel like I always like love Italians I when I, I did a semester abroad and I was chatting with this guy and he's like come closer he's like it's a very small country we need to be close <laughs> I was like oh, okay <laughs> um, but so through those experiences um it's just really great to meet um I always love interacting with other farmers, whether, um, you know, they're producing the same kind of crops as me, doing much larger, larger acreage. It's just that connectivity. You're doing something in isolation most of the time. So you're like spending all this long day for me, you know, weeding a carrot row could take me like the better part of 12 hours or something. And it's, you know, so you're doing these long tasks and it's really nice to just see. Um, so I see the rewards of my tasks when I'm harvesting or when I'm going to farmer's market, but it's really nice to connect with people around the world to be like, we're all in this together. And this is absolutely an essential part of human civilization. So it's really nice to just swap stories and, um, and I always try um, a lot of different food, which I think is really important. Um, I like to, um, especially. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and I especially like um, at Terra Madre. There's all these. There's the slow food arc of taste. They always do like this beautiful exhibit of the slow food arc things, and I grow a lot of those vegetable varieties. So it's really nice to be like, oh my god, like these these people are growing the same thing halfway around the world, and. So for me, it's mostly just um, kind of a celebratory event um, to go and interact with people. Of course, um, there are larger reasons why I went um, to some of them. And when I went to iPhone, I went as um, an, a representative for my work with um, Oscada, the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association. Um, and I was um, representing some policy on seed, um, GMO thresholds in seed. Um, so it was... You know, there. I think there's really important um, political reasons and other reasons to meet and convene with farmers. But I think the best part is just seeing, seeing yeah. it happen. Yeah. Well, that kind of like 
You're like, I'm learning. I'm also eating delicious food and <laughs> hanging out with awesome people. Um, well, so I want to talk a little bit about what's in store for folks in 2016. But I do want to ask, you know, so you've mentioned that you're vegetarian. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about like your history being really nested in kind of the organic um, food space. Um, I feel like some of my listeners might be a little bit nervous Ooh. that like I've brought in kind of a super lefty <laughs> farmer who's not going to be kind of, um, you know, meeting folks where they're at and talking to about the majority of like food that's produced in this country and the way the majority of like American consumers eat, which is a shit ton of meat. So yeah. um, I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, should they be worried? I don't think so. One of um, one thing I have um helped butcher two pigs i did um as, right. a, as a vegetarian <laughs> who ra- i also should mention i raised livestock for five years i did um both chickens um laying hens meat birds and goats and one of the things that i really came to terms with was that if i was going to raise livestock i needed to be able to slaughter an animal in case a situation should arise in which life life happens yeah. um, um whether it's a fox or a hawk or a foot in a fence like you have to be prepared to humanely handle death on a farm um so the one of the outcomes of death on a farm is meat um so to kind of orient myself with that um i did um embark on a three-day nose-to-tail pork workshop in which I was actually the skinning assistant while everyone else and <laughs> while everyone else got to take turns doing um, all of the other tasks. I stood there and skinned one side of a pig. Um, oh wow! And we also scraped one. And I also tried everything that we 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 tasted while we were doing all the butchering and the um, uh, processing. And over the next few days, and I tried everything. Um, so I do have an open mind. Um, I just find that. meat still doesn't really work well with my body for you yeah Yeah. cool so but definitely like you're like engaged in the kind of like issues in the space and and what about organics um i think organic is is um while i think it's a very i'm committed to organic agriculture as a farmer i think there's it's a wide there's a wide world in what organic means i think um the label is changing right now. I think we're seeing um, different things happening at the with the NOP. I think um, there are different. There's people who think they want to do organic and not certify. There's people who are more interested um, in regenerative agriculture and don't really care about the label. They might just really be wanting to work on their soil. So I think there's a wide way in which farmers can occupy um, their land. And while I think I I vote for more sustainable options, I think that ultimately um, food production brings, you know, I I align with food producers. So I think I'm open to exploring different topics. Excellent job. Tough question. (laughs) Put her on the spot. Um, All right. Well, let's talk a little bit. We've got about five minutes left here. Um, 2016. What are some things that like you're excited about bringing to the fore and what's a good way for people to kind of get in touch to pitch their show ideas to you? Okay. Um, So I'll start with how people could get in touch with me. Um, They can hit me up on my email, um, which is which I think, will, will we have that on the show? We'll just show put it on the show page. Yep. We'll put it on the show page. Um, and um, once I get more social media savvy, I will, <laughs> I will let you know how that, how that works. Um, but so in 2016, I'm really excited about origin stories, in particular 
seed, as we've already heard a little bit about, it was near and dear to my heart. So I hope to do a two part series on seed, um, what that might look like could, um, is I'm still in the scheduling process, but I'm very interested in sort of navigating some of the breeding questions and seed companies roles in farming. Um, and I'm also on a sort of origins on a different level. I'm really interested in some of the barriers to new and beginning farmers. Um, as I have been through some of that and continue to go through that, um, one topic area that I think is really pressing is um, student loan forgiveness for new and um, well, those are new and mostly farmers coming right out of college. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of farmers who can hardly afford to get on land um, and finance equipment and then are being additionally burdened by student loan debt, which could basically just flatten their farm before they get off the ground. And um, there's some interesting go stuff going on with that. I think New York State already has um, an incentive program in the works, so I'd like to explore that topic a little bit more. Um, and I, I know you've already branded me as a, a lefty, but I am, <laughs> I am interested in what um, the ag world might call specialty crops. Um, and though some of the, I mean, the ag world, the large ag world thinks vegetables capital are, A, yeah, capital A. <laughs> are uh, specialty crops. But um, I, um, you know, some of these at different revenue streams, whether um, cut flowers, medicinal herbs, um, some of the agritourism, so some of the successes and challenges in areas of agriculture that we all um, interact with but might not think much about. Sure. Awesome. Oh, I'm excited. Guys, it's all happening. <laughs> um, well, Holly, I feel like the one other thing that I want to, you know, kind of just make folks aware of is that you are not a Brooklynite like mm -hmm. myself. Um, Holly is commuting to us from New Haven, Connecticut. Um, so New Haven listeners, hit her up locally. Um, but she'll be in town uh, in Brooklyn on Thursdays to, to do the show and to hang with us over at the Heritage offices. And then, like I said, you can find her on email. You can still follow me, of course. I'm Aaron underscore Fairbanks. Or get in touch with us via Heritage underscore radio or info at heritageradionetwork.org. Um, plenty, of, plenty of ways to make yourself known. Holly, thank you so much. I cannot wait to be on kind of like the other end and tuning in to listen to the farm report every week. Oh, well, I'm happy to have you listening, Erin. <laughs> um, have a happy, happy, happy new year. Everyone out there listening, um, hang tight. We will be back live in the studio the first week in January. Until then, um, you know, if you need a little bit of like extra podcast love to kind of Fill, fill up your time or those kind of like long commutes for holiday travel or just some downtime uh, with your family. I want to throw out some other heritage shows that I've been really enjoying lately. Um, ferment About It is a great show. Uh, Chris Kuzme and Mary Izzet. It, it, it's all things fermentable. They talk a lot about beer, but also lacto-fermentation. Um, so if you're ever curious about making, you know, kombucha, sauerkraut, yogurts, they are super fun, kind of bringing the kind of geek fun squad to the kind of home brewing, making makers, um, really practical advice and great kind of spotlights on lots of different types of super fun projects that one might want to take up this winter. Um, and then, of course, Inside School Food, which I always love, Laura Stanley, bringing you kind of weekly updates on the federal school lunch policy. Um, really important work talking about kind of feeding the next generation of 
Americans and, and what's really working and what's not really uh, working so well. Very, very great show. And then for something a little bit on the lighter side, I'm a big Love Bites fan. Uh, it's one of the newer shows here at the Heritage Radio Network. It's all about kind of love and sex and dating in the food world. So something a little bit more on the like high entertainment value. Um, but you can binge listen through the season and follow the kind of love lives of, of the host, uh, Jacqueline and Ben. They're pretty funny. Um, and it's kind of a great kind of you know, picture at the New York dating scene and its trials and tribulations. So those are some of my top picks for some of your winter listening. Stay tuned. I will be coming back at you with a new show in January. Uh, Jack Inslee, the station's executive producer, and I are putting together a week in review, kind of a variety show that will spotlight all the amazing stuff that's happening every week here on the Heritage Radio Network. You know, we do over 35 weekly shows. It's a lot for anyone to listen to. So <laughs> we're going to break that down, uh, make it a little bit more digestible for you, kind of keep you up to date and bring you that real kind of like finger on the pulse of the food world vis-a-vis the Heritage Radio Network. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. And stay tuned in. Yeah, I'll see you guys next year. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.